You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode 116 called 24 EdTech Fueled Lesson Openers. In this episode, we'll share 24 ideas for lesson hooks that will be sure to capture your students' attention. We'll also recommend some EdTech tools that will bring these ideas to the next level. This is another episode you don't want to miss. Check it out. All right, so our last episode came out on the 4th of July. We actually recorded it before then, but now we've actually experienced the 4th of July. So, <laughs> Nick, happy 4th of July. I uh, I hope it was a good one. Yeah, happy 4th. Um, it was a good one. We did like a little, not a little, a big giant family party from my mom's side. She's got like, well, she's one of five brothers and sisters, and, and they're all older now with their own giant family trees. So it was like um, the first one in a couple years since really, I guess, since COVID started that everyone got together. It was a good time to see all those people and to show off my daughter because it was the first time that a lot of them got to see her. So some cool stuff. How was uh, how was your fourth? Pretty good. I can't believe that's the first time anyone saw your daughter. I mean, she's almost, what, a year and a half? She's a little over a year and a half? Yeah, I mean, for the extended family, it's the first time. Obviously, you know, like our parents and I think a couple aunts and uncles met her, but just nobody's been getting together. It um, was the first time that the whole big group saw her, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's just that's bizarre. My yep. youngest uh, just turned three, and uh, I'm just trying to think. There are people in my family that still has not seen my three-year-old. Yeah. That's just bizarre. It's weird. I got to work on that. All right, so we're, we're in the middle of July. A lot of people have been off of school for about a month, maybe a little more. I think it's time for us to start thinking about what we're going to do when we get back and what are some things we want to incorporate. So really, that's what this lesson's all about. But before we get into that, I think we should talk a little bit about an opportunity to get some quality EdTech tools, extended premium trials of these EdTech tools for free. Yeah, it's fitting for this episode too, because a lot of the EdTech we're going to talk about, not a lot, I think maybe five or six of the tools we're going to mention, you can find here. We have not talked about this in a while, but there's a website out there called myedtechbundle.com where you can go to to find, as of today, about 30 plus EdTech tools. And when you sign up uh, with these guys, you can get the pre- like a premium access to these services, which typically would cost you money. And here you can get that for, you know, it's it's a range depending on the tool, but maybe an extra month or sometimes as, as much as an extra four months of free premium service. And that can add up. So some of the, and these are totally free, by the way, uh, you do have to go through like a checkout process, although no one's going to collect any money. Nobody's even going to take a credit card. The checkout is just there to help sort of keep track of who's buying what, but it's really great. So as we go through the, the bulk of today's episode, um, you know, we'll be throwing out some tools and try to let you know which ones can be found on myatechbundle.com. If you're a listener to the show, that might sound familiar because we mention it frequently, although it's been a couple months since we have, because this is actually our website uh, that we started with our good buddy, Kyle Nemus, and it just seemed kind of fitting today to uh, bring it up again. Yeah, I mean... When we launched this, it was last October, last November, somewhere around there, and people were already into the school year. Everyone felt like they had a shortened summer recess uh, because of COVID and stuff like that. People just needed a break. So it was a good time for us to kind of see how the process would go and things like that. And it's gone pretty smooth so far. And uh, we hear a lot of good things of the people using it. But right now is a great time to start playing around with some of these ed tech tools. Like Nick said, I mean, typically you have a week, maybe two weeks for a trial of premium access. With this website, you get those two weeks plus an additional two to 12 weeks. I mean, it's it's really a no-brainer. We started this because we felt that there's a need to get these quality tools into the hands of teachers without having them to spend their own dime. And uh, we're vetting these tools for quality, and uh, we think we have a good collection. We're always looking for more. But as uh, we say, let's get the uh, show on the road here. 
This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. Today we are going to talk about 25-ish different lesson openers. These openers oftentimes have ed tech connections to it. It might not be something that you have to run through ed tech. Maybe it's ed tech being used as a sidebar resource, or there could be an option on a couple of these to eliminate the tech altogether. So whatever you think is going to really enhance the experience, that's kind of what we're going for. Yeah. So this was, this was actually my episode idea. And it came to me because this is something for the coming year, the coming school year that I really want to work on and get better at. And it's just, I don't know if it was just the type of year we had. I mean, we've talked about a lot kind of feeling burnt out with all the technology use and Zoom and remote teaching that's been going on. I sort of totally abandoned any sort of hope of being creative with my lesson openers. I still did a pretty good job this year, I think, but I definitely just sort of rolled in and started teaching most days without much uh, introduction in a way that really was truly a hook and like actually captured the student's attention. So this coming year, I really want to get back to that. And I started doing some research, putting together a list of things, then started noticing that there's lots of ed tech that could go along with these ideas and then realized it would be a great episode. So that's what we got for you. I'll start off with the first one, and I call this the EdTech Show and Tell. You could, of course, make this non-tech pretty easy by just doing your classic show and tell, but for this one, uh, you're gonna have to do a little bit of research to find out or find some resource online, and if it doesn't exist, you could make it yourself, but it would take a decent amount of work. Um, I'll give you the example Uh, for the subject I teach, chemistry. Uh, There's a website called On This Day in Chemistry. And if you go there, there's a little graphic. Actually, it looks like they've changed it. The graphic is no more. It's just a a list of of links, but it's literally every single date of the year, there is a, a link you can click and it talks about something that happened in chemistry on that day. Uh, The idea being the show and tell is each student in your class every day is assigned one of these things and they get up at the start of the lesson and they read it and share it. And you can do this a couple different ways. You could make it a little more serious and ask the, you know, the student in advance to do some research and talk about this thing more than what is provided on the resource itself. You could also keep it quick and light and just have different students sort of read it on the spot without any preparation. I think both are valuable. One, it's different. Two, it's going to get the kids thinking about science, thinking about chemistry, because, you know, they may be coming from lunch or gym class, and this will help to gear them up. And three, you're going to involve kids and give them a voice in that class. So I, I did some searching around, and you can find websites like this for pretty much any subject you want. And I just shared the chemistry one because it's you know, something I've seen one of my colleagues use before and was easy, but they're out there and you can find one and you could get your kids talking and start off your class in an interesting way. Yeah, this one's awesome. I I just looked up on this day in biology uh, and what's really cool is you can enter a date, event or person and it will pull them up for that day. So I'm going to actually use this for uh, one of mine and I'm going to go out of order because I had no clue that you're bringing this one. <laughs> yeah, all right. But uh, brackets. Uh, we do March Madness brackets every March, but really you don't need to just do them in March. You could do them whenever you want. And with different events, if you think about your year and if you're a social studies teacher, you think about the different battles or the wars that you study or the people that you study. Well, maybe one part of your bracket is all people. The next part is a bunch of events that has happened throughout your school year. And as you cover two of them or the ones that are matched up, you talk about it and you see which one had a greater impact. And it's just another way. It's a fun way for students to think a little deeper about the content that they're learning and the implications that those events happened or had on society. So, I mean... I'm thinking of it as in biology when we taught, we would uh, often celebrate a scientist 
And it was it was a great way for me to introduce uh, different cultures, different types of people, different backgrounds, different religions, different like anything I could bring in, I would bring in. And what's cool is I would always challenge the students to go find a new scientist. So we would do one that I prescribed at the beginning of the year. I would have it posted in the front of the room. And anytime they saw a name that was on that poster, they would point it out and they would look for it because they're looking at this poster all, all year. So they would point it out and they would know that that's someone important and that's someone that we're going to talk about. And it kind of just helped the discussion. But you could do that with people, places, uh, events, things like that. And uh, Flippity gives you, uh, using Google Sheets, Flippity isn't a tech tool that uses Google Sheets to make templates. Uh, they give you templates of different things. And one of their templates is a bracket. It's very easy to manipulate, to change, do what you want, and post. So brackets would be another great activity you could do not just in March, but throughout the whole year. Yeah, I love making my students do brackets. And I, you know, there's a couple of ways I'll do it. One is like the quick, easy, fun bracket where it's just, you know, maybe not even related to chemistry. I'll just keep it super light, like hot dogs versus hamburgers. And they really like that. The other one that I'll do is, um, you know, very work heavy where the thing's competing in the, you know, each, you know, kind of tongue of the bracket are like a problem they have to solve. And the winner is the highest number that moves on. And they don't like that as much because there's actually a ton of work involved, but it's lots of good ways to do it. Uh, you can also do this asynchronously. If you don't want to do it as something that, that's done in the first five or ten minutes of class, you can do it asynchronously with uh, Moat. You could have them sign into Moat, and uh, this bracket could be in a Google Doc slide, whatever you want it to be. And what they could do is they can put a little Moat uh, recording in that, that document or in the slide supporting which which person is uh more impactful uh to today's life or whatever the event that occurred or whatever it may be so you could use moat and do it almost like as a fun little response maybe for homework or something like that yeah that's a great idea and that uh, moat is officially then our first tool mentioned where you can head over to myedtechbundle.com to get some premium access, which you, you mean, Moat is great, the free version, but uh, the premium version definitely has its appeal and you can try it out and see if it's something worthwhile. I'll get into our third one, which is starting off a class with motion, some type of kinesthetic activity. And the, you know, the options here are, are endless. This could be an entire, not even a podcast episode. You could do a whole podcast itself just on ways to get kids moving. Um, but we're just going to mention it here as, as our third choice. I pulled out one example, and if you head to our show notes or if you just Google something called the stand-up game with Sarah Wessling, you can find a, a quick like one-and-a-half-minute video that kind of walks you through what this is. But it's super easy to explain, too. So at the beginning of class, and this is sort of made for high school students because oftentimes, especially in the morning, uh, they can be very groggy. It can be tough to get them... I don't know if focused is the word, but sort of ready and motivated and, and not sleepy rolling in. And that's just the age, right? That's part of what you deal with there. And something like this can really help. If you force them to get up and moving, it's awesome for kind of waking up the brain and starting off. And that would be true for anybody. So in the stand-up game specifically, the whole class begins standing up. Every single student has to stand. And the way that they get to sit down is if they share something. Um, the easiest way to do it is a method of kind of going over the homework or mentioning something that was completed prior, where if, say, they've written a passage, the way that they get to sit down is by reading that passage. There's a couple benefits to this besides the fact that they're standing, they don't get to sit and slouch or put their heads down. You know, that's the, the first most obvious part. It gets them talking. They, you know, they want to sit back down. So it's a lot easier to get them sharing. Uh, they know that if they share, they get to sit and then the pressure is kind of off. Um, it also just has a natural effect of loosening everybody up. You know, you, you feel less like you are being called out and watched by the whole class 
because everybody's sharing. Every, I'm sorry, everybody is, is standing, right? It's not like you're reading and everybody is just sort of sitting there, eyes on you. The whole group is standing up and, and you know that when you read your thing, or for me, uh, maybe describe how you solved problem number two, walk everybody through it and then you get to sit down. I have done this before and I'll do it in phases. So one person uh, shares how they solve problem number two, they get to sit. And then the next person who gets to sit has to explain um, what they might have done wrong with that problem or a different approach. That's a little bit of a, a higher level way to go about that, but there's tons of different versions of not only this activity, but really anything, even if it's as simple as, you know, maybe at younger grades kind of have the kids just be silly for 30 seconds. You could project a timer on the board and there's all sorts of videos out there of like guided moments of just sort of wiggling around and being goofy to get it out of your system before you sit and get started. So I really like the idea of starting a lesson with motion. Yeah, I would actually say that a good time to do this would be in the middle of a lesson. And the only reason is because I am a f I can't sit still. I'm a lot better now that I'm almost 40. Wow, I'm 40. <laughs> I was going to say something, but I figured I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's great. I'll be the big four zero this year. Wow. Yeah. I'm um, sitting next to a young guy. <laughs> it's all right. You might be the young guy, but I'm the fun guy. Yeah, not yeah. that much younger. I'm going to be 35. I don't even remember anymore. I think I'm going to be 35 this year. Or no, 36. So I'm in the upper 30s now, too. All right. Well, now that I totally strayed us away, I'm going to bring us back in. I would do these motion uh, activities or games in the middle of a lesson, especially after maybe you're doing a lecture that day. Do a little bit of your lecture, stand them up and uh, get them moving around. And that will bring them back in for whatever you're going to do after that point. And I think that's a great way of getting, uh, you know, students up, moving, refreshed, rejuvenated and ready to go for the rest of the class, especially if you have these big, long block periods, block scheduling periods. I know that there's some schools out there that have like almost two hours in a class. And if you don't get kids moving, you're going to lose them. So I think that's a great one. Yep, that's, a, that's actually a good twist on it because a, a lot of the times what you'll end up with, uh, you know, mid-lecture is some type of a, an example problem. And, you know, the easiest way for a teacher to go over that example is for you, the teacher, to go over it. But this not only switches that back to the kids where they have to go over it or they have to share what they wrote down. Um, but they are getting up and moving to help refocus for the second part. So it's a great idea. Yeah, and it doesn't need to be a problem. It could be process. In science, we often have processes uh, that we need to know each step. So a kid says a step, then sits down. The next one says a step, then sits down, and so on and so forth. You could also do this with historical events. You could It could be like a timeline. You're making a verbal timeline, and people sit down as they put an event on the timeline. They come up to the whiteboard, add something, and then go back and sit down. So there's there's plenty of ways of doing this. I'm gonna go on to my next one, and this is one of my favorite things to do, and you'll notice in the show notes, we don't go in order this time. But usually we do, this time we're all over the place. Uh, I'm gonna go with explain the graph, and this is one that I love doing when I taught AP Bio. I love just giving students a graph that is content related. You could even make up the graph, but we have two resources here. Turner's Graph of the Week. There's a graph that he publishes every single week, and there are ones that you can probably find for your content area. Uh, usually they're math-based, but he, they're, they're different uh, content areas that you can get. A lot of times it's something going on in the news related, something uh, current. Uh, but you could go to Turner's Graph of the Week. New York Times uh, also does a little thing called What's Going On in This Graph. Even if the content isn't related to your specific class, it is a great skill for students to have. And this is being able to tell a story by looking at a graph. If a student can look at a graph and and there's nothing there, just the data, and they could tell a story based on that, or if there are some descriptors on there, and they could tell the summary of that graph just looking at the numbers. 
that's that's higher level of thinking. That's something that you're going to have to do in standardized tests. They'll feel more comfortable with it, but definitely include graphs into your lesson plans. Yeah, and they're just so thought provoking too. And I, I, you know, I've been browsing this New York Times one, which I've I've never checked out before. But it's great because it's heavily geared towards students, and a lot of their graphs feature things that are going to be relevant to you know teenagers and kids. So some of the ones they're featuring are like, I think it graphs from 1989 up to 2019 is the most recent data. You know, it, it graphs out the students that have ever tried cigarettes versus ever tried vaping. And you can see that the cigarette numbers like plunged after 99, whereas the vaping numbers once vaping was a thing. So you, you don't even see a line until like deep into the 2010s. But, uh, you know, vaping is skyrocketing and they have, you know, recently drank alcohol or used marijuana or used cocaine graphed out or watching television three hours a day versus getting eight hours of sleep. So you can see the the interplay of these two different pieces of data and you could talk about how they might be related to each other and there's connections to, uh, depending on how you take this, all sorts of, of different courses that you could teach can be tied in here. And, and the, you know, they don't even, it's not just graphs, they've got maps, they've got like an endangered biodiversity map and different styles of graphs. I don't, I don't know enough about graphs to name these things, but as I'm looking through, there's just all kinds of really cool visuals. This one is, so they've got topical things, what's going, uh, refugees from Ukraine. And there's like these circles, these expanding circles to show, I believe it's showing where Ukrainian refugees are, are going uh, country to country, um, different like word bubbles, just all kinds of really awesome stuff. And, and, you know, it could be as simple as, like you said, pop this up at the start of class and the students explain what they think is going on. This can begin discussions. This could do all kinds of stuff. I love graphs and maps and this sort sort of thing. And I think most people do too, because of, you know, it's just, you can't help but let your brain run wild thinking about the, the reasons behind what's going on there. So, I love that one, and I love this next one too. I'm going to jump straight into our, our next selection here, which is something I call Find the Mistake. It's not a great name. I know it's a little bit on the nose, um, but it gets the you know it gets the point across. In a Find the Mistake activity, rather than for me just give the students a question to answer or a prompt that they have to respond to, um, the answer or the the question is already answered. I provide them with the work or I provide them with the the written response and instead the job is to find the mistake and it's just it just switches it up and that's what you should be noticing with a lot of these openers and hooks. It's taking a typical thing and, and changing it up to you know help capture everybody's attention. Uh, the EdTech way to do this and there's lots of ways you can but a really interesting tool called Edgy that we've mentioned before, it's been a while. Um, in Edgy, it's like a, I mean, it can do a lot of different things. You could think about it like a shared discussion board, but the discussion is happening as the students annotate text. And you can even add pictures. And if it's an image, um, they can drop, I think about them as like waypoints, but they click an area of the image and it leaves a little orange mark. And as students annotate these different regions of the text or a picture, uh, everybody can see where the activity is. So if there's a, a section of text that like 10 people have commented on, that's going to appear a darker color or on an image. If a bunch of people have dropped these little orange waypoints, it'll start to appear darker orange. You'll see them all clustered around there. And it's a nice way to kind of help kids out. If you're not sure where the mistake is, you can see where everybody else is looking, which might assist you. And there's less pressure because you're not being asked to share something right away until you've had a chance to think about it and see what other people are doing as well. Um, it sounds like kind of a, bo a boring one, but I've had tons of success with finding the mistake. And it's a really great way for kids to check their understanding. You know, they can sometimes get so in the habit of just doing the same thing over and over again. If you force them into a situation of evaluating someone else's work, that really can push them to a higher level. So I, I like this one at any point in the lesson, but it's good for an opener too. Yeah, I, I like that idea. I, I, I really do. I would also encourage people to 
put some problems in there that are correct, right? They need to be able to notice whether it's correct or not. It kind of throws a different element in there. Maybe the first time you don't even tell them that there's a problem. Just just ask them to, you know, solve it. And when they say that, you know, it's wrong or something like that, if you give them the answer and it's right the first time, you could still ask them, what is the process that you use to get that answer? What's the pro- or process that you would use or the formula that you would use? But then also give them some right answers and some wrong answers and have them differentiate between the right and the wrong. And and that's a, just another way for them to know or to demonstrate that they know what they're doing. Because especially after you give them four or five wrong answers, then make the next one right. See what happens. Yep. I, I love that's a, a great twist on there to sort of turn what's already being flipped around from the typical to turn it back again and make them sort of second guess and really think about are these are there even mistakes here so it's a great tip um, the next one I'll do is you know this can be very quick it's literally uh, the most classic example of what we're talking about today and that is showing a video what an awesome way to start off your lesson right we've all done it and it, it does not get old um, what I would encourage people to do is try and throw in some different things besides you know, going straight educational, it'd be kind of cool if you could pull in, I don't know, some pop culture elements, maybe like a movie trailer that has some component related to what you're talking about that day. There's a, a website and a service called Classhook. It's another MyTech bundle resource, and and that's all Classhook does. If you go there, Classhook will pull video clips from like real, actual TV shows and movies and trailers and. You know, they even will pull in YouTube stuff, but these things have all been found for you. So you go there, <clears throat> if you're teaching about, um, I don't know, concentration camps, you can go and type that in and it's gonna scour the internet and find clips from movies and shows that the kids might even recognize related to that. And um, if you you know sign up for some of their premium services, then you can even get you know, discussion starters or worksheets or lesson ideas to go along with it. So that's a really great way to do this and, and, and to sort of pull in that pop culture element, let Class Hook do some of the hard work for you. So showing a video is always one of my favorites. Yeah, especially if you're talking a certain, I'm just going to use leadership here. If you tell students to just go and find a an example of leadership, and they go find the videos. I think that that's an amazing way for them to notice uh, leadership characteristics and qualities and also being able to bring those into the classroom and, and tell why. I, I think that's, that's big time. So that's pretty awesome. I'm going to go into my next one. And I love gamifying the classroom. What better way of gamifying your classroom with a minute to win it? We all know what the game show is where, you know, groups of people go out and compete and they have a, they have a minute to do some type of a challenge, whether it's throw 15 ping pong balls into a bucket. I mean, it could be something easy. All right, so I'm just going to use that. Or let's use the cup stacking challenge where they have to get 25 different cups and they have to make a big pyramid out of the cups, right, without... Uh, having them fall over. Okay. All right, let's use that one. Well, make them earn the cups. Don't just give them the 25 cups. Make them, you know, work through problems. And every time someone on their team gets one right, they go, they get a cup. Once they get 25 cups, they have 30 seconds to stack them all without knocking them over. If they don't do it within 30 seconds, they have to start over. The way that they start over is they put all 25 cups together and then they go. And they do it. And I think that's a, a great way to bring in, you know, gamification into the classroom. It's not going to break the bank. You have 25 solo cups or 15 ping pong balls. Uh, and you just have students work at it together, show a little team. You know, you come up with the hurdles. Do they have to be a certain distance away? Does it have to bounce three times before it goes into the cup? Whatever it may be. And they work with content along the way. So I, I really like that. I included a blog uh, in the show notes. And this is coming from 
the Surviving a Teacher's Salary blog. All right, I like this blog post. It has several different ideas as for minute-to-minute activities. You are going to, however, come up with creative ways to get content built into these games. And it's really not that difficult. Uh, if you have any type of a Kahoot or something like that, you could easily just set up one of those. Uh, have like seven to ten problems in there where... Uh, I, I would actually recommend, I think, quizzes on this because you could set, a, you could expand the timer so they have five minutes to do it. And then at the end, it will show you how many correct ones that they have. If you make up four or five different uh, sets of questions and each student gets one of those sets, you'll be able to see how long it takes them and, and so on and so forth. So you could easily make this happen. And once you have it, done this is an activity you could do each and every year I, I think the takeaway there for me is making students earn the cups or earn whatever the challenge you're giving them is this is a good classroom management strategy too I had a group uh, just this year a, a group of boys in my chem class and they're really obsessed with a version of that the water bottle flip thing that you guys have probably seen where you know the students will flip a water bottle and try to get it to land without falling over they were doing that but with my um the white erase markers for my board, which is much harder to do, of course, because there's not, you know, water in there weighing it down. And they were obsessed with getting the marker to land. And, you know, for the most part, it was fine. But towards the end of the year, I did get kind of annoyed constantly telling them to stop trying to flip the marker and instead do their work. You can totally turn that on its head by asking them or making them do things for class to earn marker flips and make it part of this minute to win it challenge. So I love that tip. It's a smart way to kind of join them, make this thing part of your class, and but also have it benefit what they're supposed to be learning. So it's a great tip. Uh, the, the next one I'll introduce is, I call it provoking opinions. That's a really one of the key things you want to do here with these lesson openers is capture attention. And if nothing else, students today uh, they are they are very worldly and aware and they have lots of opinions because they have lots of access to you know news and the world and what's going on in social media that's just kind of the nature of of the times we're living in you can capitalize on that by making it part of your lesson opener um, the idea here for me is to always make it topical try and bring in something that's happening now make it newsy uh, maybe maybe things that they've heard of but don't know a lot about it, or even better if they don't yet know how it relates to your class and there's lots of great resources out there I'll give two um, one is called the PBS news hour classroom and it's all you know a collection of news stories uh, sort of separated out by topic literally made for students and all the stuff on here, as you can imagine, is, is very topical. Uh, the one they're featuring today is uh, history of Juneteenth and why it's now a national holiday. So what a, it's just an awesome thing to kick off uh, a lesson you're doing. We've also got here another Myatech bundle tool called the Juice or the Juice News. And these guys have you know pretty much the same thing, daily news matches of what's going on, uh, except what the Juice is going to do is give you these articles that have been selected for certain groups of students and given at various reading levels. So it's going to do the differentiation piece automatically for you. And they have tons of other resources too, but uh, that's always the main takeaway for me with the juice, uh, if this is something you're going to try to do. So those are the two tools I found there for provoking opinions. Yeah, provoking opinions. This is one of my favorite topics uh, in my bioethics class when I taught, and it's really debating. That's what you're doing. You're debating, and there's one organization and one website uh, that I really enjoy. It's called idebate.org. If you go there, it's uh, it stands for International Debate Education Association. That's idea is what they go by. International Debate Education Association, and within there. They have something on their website. It's called the Debatabase. That's uh, a nice play on words there, Debatabase. Debatabase. And you can go in there and you can look at different debates by theme of culture, economy, education, environment, free speech, health, international law, uh, philosophy, po politics, religion, science, society, sport, and digital freedoms. 
So when you click on one of those subcategories, it's going to give you a list of debates and there's over a hundred different resources here. So this is one that you could probably go in and find something that fits your content area, but it's a pretty powerful website and it's awesome for students and it gets them once again, thinking at a higher level when they have to, you know, debate against the other side. I often like to have my students pick a side and then after they pick the side, I make them argue for or debate for the other side. And that's just another way of throwing them a curveball. Do you ever get kids who claim that they don't know how to argue for the other side and kind of push back a little bit or can they for the most part handle that? Normally I just tell them to figure it out Yeah, because that seems to me like they quit before they even started and if you give them a little tough love there then they'll go through it they'll do great you point out some great points that they make and then they can do it and you don't hear about that for the rest of the course so it's you just got to challenge them and they'll rise to the occasion they'll rise to the challenge they're very good at doing that and yeah so make sure you include some debates into your class any content area can have a debate it could be music it could be art, anything that you can debate. I mean, really, it's no different than having a debate for each one of your brackets. If you make a bracket, you're having a debate there, too. Yeah, that's a good point. Some some cool overlap there. Um, this one also kind of has some overlap. It's similar, I, at least how I would conduct this is similar to the EdTech show and tell. Uh, what I'm talking about are, and we, we mentioned these from time to time, I call it a Google Earth field trip. And there's all sorts of ways you can do that with like Google Arts and Culture. This one specifically though is Google Earth. And this came from something I saw recently. It popped up on Instagram and it was somebody, I think it was like an entire account actually. And this whole account was, you know, videos of somebody finding weird stuff on Google Earth. And if you've never gone down that, that rabbit hole, that's a good one just to check out for your own personal enjoyment. Because as you can imagine, if the entire globe's surface is photographed to extreme detail, you're going to see some weird stuff and people are, are collecting these things that you can zoom in on and see. Uh, the one that caught my attention was this little island off the coast of Australia and if you zoomed in far enough a little waypoint popped up and when you clicked it, it like zoomed into this like some kind of hole in the ground and at the bottom of the hole there was a bunch of chairs. It was very bizarre. It offered no explanation to what it was but it struck me because it was so bizarre and you know it's it's weirdness has is what got me thinking about it you know this many weeks later and I was I just thought it would be cool to tie that in as, a, as an idea for a lesson hook and, and like I said the way I would do it is I would ask students and assign them certain days where at the start of class they would have to research and find something cool on Google Earth to share and relate that to your content if you want to if you can or or not just kind of make it make it whatever give them some time to shine and some time to talk about what they've spotted if you head to the show notes you, you'll find a link to a website just one of the ones i've found that is cataloging these things it's 50 amazing finds on google earth you could even give this to your students and have them pick one from that list uh, maybe sort of curate a list yourself beforehand to make sure they're appropriate and uh, let that be their time to shine. It's just such a fun thing to do. I think it's really going to capture uh, your students' attention and um, you know, it should be really fun for them to do. Yeah, that's another great one. Uh, another one that you and I used to always do, especially when we were in the science uh, office, the teacher's office, Nick and I would compete with everything. And if you go back to episode one, it's really no different. We, we explain it in episode one that we have this, we are two totally builds of, of people. You know, I am two of Nick. It just <laughs> happens to be that way. Yep. And, uh, you know, so if we did something like a lifting challenge or something like that, it would be totally unfair. And, you know, Nick has very fine motor skills, like very, very good fine motor skills where me i i can't type because i have sausage fingers uh bear paws if you will and you know i could run through a wall but when it comes to some of the finesse fine motor stuff you know he would have me beat but you know we did this thing where we would open our office door and we it was almost like we were playing pig with a dartboard 
so he would run through the door, jump, and he would have to throw a dart at the dartboard. And if he was able to do that, and I couldn't, I would get a letter. We would we'd throw coins into beakers. We, I mean, really, it was. We did a lot of stuff. We we did a lot of games that we just made up on the spot. And sometimes those games in your classroom are exactly what gets kids brought in. I mean, I used to play this game where we'd go collect change that was in my grandfather's car. So when he got done buying something and he had change, he would just stick it under his car seat so I could go find it later. I do it with my kids now. They love it. Uh, they love finding the change that's in dad's car. So we do it once a month. And then we, we figure out some games to play with it. So the one that I played in my classroom is we would stand over by the door. And I had this long, like three foot wide stretch the whole way to the front of the class. And then it would start slanting to the left a little bit. Well, we would set up a little X uh, using tape on the floor. And kids would throw the change straight bang it off the wall and try to get it closest to the X. All right. And once again, this is kind of like a minute to win it type thing earlier, but everyone got a chance. All right. Everyone started with one coin. And if they answered questions throughout the class period, and sometimes I did this over course of a couple of days, they would keep collecting coins and then they would be able to throw those. But I got them motivated to participate in class by giving them a coin or a bingo chip or a corn kernel. I mean, it could be anything. And then we would make a game out of it. And I would never tell them the game until after all the opportunity was to earn it. And they, they, they started to catch on that I made a game pretty much out of whatever I could. So find creative things things to use that don't cost teachers a whole lot of money and make up your own games. They'll enjoy them just as much. We played uh, basketball, which is not after the movie. We just used the waste basket. So I used basket from the waste basket and we would, uh, I had a whole bunch of those McDonald's uh, ball pit balls and we would, we would make a game out of it. Those things can travel. It's not going to hurt anything if it hits anything. And uh, we would line up our uh, desks, and you would have to hit at least three desks and get the ball into a trash can. And we just uh, gamified it that way. So whatever, whenever you gamify stuff, it, you can find creative ways to bring the content into the game. I guess that's really my long explanation of uh, this EdTech tool that you could bring in. And I, I called it an EdTech tool because... I would strongly encourage you to use Flippity for your leaderboards for everything because uh, it's they're so easy to manipulate and to publish. And if you publish them on a Google site or something like that or a class site, they update as you update it. It's a live leaderboard and they love following it on their phone um, and, and really just playing along with it. Yeah, you can't go wrong with playing a game, and you may not even realize how it connects to your content right away. I still use some of those McDonald's uh, ball pit balls in class um, as, a, as a game, as an opener, actually, where I give three students in different corners of the room one ball each, and they have to throw the balls uh, and try to get them to collide with each other simultaneously midair. Not only is it hard to get just two of them to collide, but for all three to hit each other at the same time, almost impossible. And it all ties into a lesson about something in chemistry called collision theory of reaction rates, where you know the more particles there are that have to collide, the less likely it is that those collisions happen. And they have a great time, and it makes the concept really easy to understand. So you know you can just start doing some of these silly little things, and it, you may eventually figure out how it connects to your content. I'm going to actually knock off two here, and I'm going to do them together, not because they're related, just but because they're, they're very simple sort of classics. And one of those is a survey. You cannot go wrong with a survey. Everybody loves uh, answering things and seeing that data presented. Uh, for us at our school and probably most schools, Google Forms is likely the easiest way to do this. 
Uh, it's going to let that data uh, be very quickly generated. The students can see the results coming in, and they make those nice little pie charts for you. Uh, straight away. I did see a cool thing online. If you don't want to go tech with this, you can give, uh, have little sticky notes available and the students have to put their sticky note in it in a tower depending on how they're going to respond and it sort of builds a colored bar graph uh, as they put their sticky notes in different categories up on the board. Uh, so that was a cool one and you know poll everywhere is a classic too that you have to mention for this type of thing. So you've got your surveys. There's also the, the this is my favorite thing. I almost do these too much. Uh, QR code scavenger hunts. For me, uh, when I do one of these, it's a bunch of QR codes around the room and the students have to scan them to see, I don't know, some text will pop up like an answer to a question. And they're just matching these QR codes based on things that I'm asking them. And it usually like reveals some kind of secret code. This you know, checks a bunch of boxes. One, they're up and moving. Two, they're answering questions. Three, they're thinking outside the box as they try and find these things and, and solve whatever the code is. So, you know, we've, we talk about this type of thing a lot, but those are, are two good not to mention on a list of lesson openers. Yeah, I, I agree there. I, I'm just looking at a title of one of these, and I'm going to let you take it away because I have no clue <laughs> what you're talking about here. Yeah. It's called Feely Bags and Feely Boxes. I know. <laughs> I didn't come up with that, first of all. I saw I stole this one online as I was doing some research for this episode. Um, this, you know, originally is for elementary students where it's, you know, you got a box or a, a bag that the kids can't see into. They put their hand in and they feel what's inside and they, you ask them to describe it. Uh, this is typically a science lesson where like if you do it with kindergartners and if there's say a ball inside um, and you ask them to make observations about the ball, kindergartners will say things like, um, you know, the object is blue. They don't know that it's blue because they can't see it. They're saying it's blue because developmentally they're just thinking of a ball they have at home that's blue and you, you can kind of use that to teach them about what observations are and how they work. Uh, but you can put weird fun things in there that they try and identify like a pineapple or, or jello so you can make it kind of messy if you want to. Um, at, at a high school twist, you know, for me I was thinking I could put in little model kits of molecules and rather than look at it to identify it, they have to feel it with their hands. That's like a whole different part of your brain being used there. And I think there's lots of ways you could add to that. And then an ed tech version, instead of a, a box or a bag that you can't see, I was envisioning a Google slide with a background image and that background image is covered up, I don't know, like most of the way with some sort of a shape. And you can slowly move that shape out of the way and, and kids have to either just shout out or maybe they could send in via some kind of form you know, what they think the image is showing. So you'd have to pick something unique that would get them thinking a little bit, but that would be sort of the ed tech twist on this thing. I like the form idea because it will be timestamped and right. then you could truly get who got it. Who got it first. First, yeah, yeah that, that's pretty cool. I also think uh, with the model kits, you should make them build molecules based on the size of the different uh, atoms. I think that's an easy thing to account well not easy but an easy thing to explain what they have to do and it would be challenging that would be like a minute to win it type thing all right so that is feely bags and feely boxes i would just call them mystery bags and mystery boxes but you know your adjective is fine <laughs> as you say it that makes way more sense to me now we'll go back and change that yeah uh so the next one is two truths and a farce i don't think we're allowed to actually say the term, I don't know. At least that's what I, I've heard from uh, other podcasts. So we'll just call it two truths and a farce. And uh, basically, I would give students the, instead of saying two and one, you they could pick how many lies they want to tell or how many truths they want to tell. And really, you know, maybe groups have to take one of these and say exactly what they think. It's kind of bringing a full circle back to your edgy uh, problems where kids have to pick out what is right and what is wrong. Well, just tell them that they could pick up the three statements. They could be truths or they could be 
non-truths. Uh, really, either one. And uh, then it's no different than a, a student or a group of students going and analyzing misconceptions in their content. Because that's, that's what it is. It's a misconception. So maybe you supply them with a whole bunch of misconceptions. And then some of them just tell them these ones are actually not misconceptions or make them identify those. Whatever you want to do there. But I think it's another fun way to maybe make a not so uh, interesting lesson be a little bit more interesting through EdTech, through gamification. Yeah, that's a that's a classic, and everybody loves playing it. So it's a it definitely deserves to be on the list. Um, the next few, I'll rattle off maybe three of these things again because they're kind of classics, going along with the one you just did. Uh, if you ever played I Spy, a lot of times we do this on road trips as a family. You can play that in your classroom at the beginning. I couldn't think of a good way to to ed to turn that into an ed tech, so we're going to keep that uh, the classical version where. There's a, some things, maybe you could even hide some things specifically uh, in view or out of view around the class and ask the students to find them. Um, simply playing a game, which you mentioned before, my twist on it is to sort of pull in whatever the, whatever the popular game is at the time. Right now we're at the tail end of the game Wordle, which you've probably heard of, or if you're listening to this many years down the row, you may have heard of it and forgotten about it, but as we're recording, it's a big thing. Make that part of your class. There's also, um, I believe, Flippity can design your own Wordles. Is that correct? Yeah, and I, I'd like to throw out this one. It's uh, for adults. It's Swerdle. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, that one's not bad either. I mean, it's not just swear words. It's like bathroom talk and stuff like that too. But uh, you know, if we're if we're going to announce all of them. Why not announce that one too? Yeah, there's t- there's tons of versions. Another cool one is called Hurdle, H-E-A-R-D, and it's um it's songs. So they will it plays just like teeny tiny segments at the beginning of a song, and you try and guess what the song is as as soon as you know it based on the smallest possible segment. So tons of versions out there. It's gonna get your kids' attention, of course, because it's fun and it's popular right now. And you know, substitute in whatever the big game of the time is. And then, of course, the last one, I had to put it on here just because it's such a a thing these days, and that is the tech-guided meditation session. And by tech-guided, probably what you're going to find is is a video. And there's tons of these geared towards students. You want to make sure you've got one that's, you know, appropriate for a classroom, and you can find them out there. If you head to our show notes, you can find a link that takes you straight to a selection of these that I found. And maybe that's a good way to start off one of your classes, too. Yeah, uh, you know, I just love, even though that we said that these are ed tech fueled lessons, there's a lot of gamification here. And really, that's what most of mine have been. And I'm going to just stick with that trend right now and say that you have the opportunity next year at the beginning of the year to start a game that lasts the whole year. We know of ed tech tools like Classcraft that allow you to do that. But you could do it organically, too, in your classrooms. Uh, I am a survivor nut. I watch every single episode. I'm actually going back to rewatch some of the earlier seasons. Uh, I don't know why. I just I just like it. <laughs> you know, I, you, en- you enjoy it even though you kind of know what's going to happen? Yeah, because now I'm looking at it at a different angle. Right. You know, the game has changed so much. But uh, if I have a classroom full of survivor nuts or at least a couple that i could get other people uh you know linked into it uh i'll i'll do survivor the whole year and you know there'll be challenges and they'll earn different things so maybe they earn you know for every a they earn one cup and then at the end of that unit that's when i do the cup challenge as a little reward for them uh you could do it that way uh, you do Amazing Race, you do it as a unit, but you could easily do it as a school year. Uh, you could also do the Olympic Games. You can do the Olympics and have different events throughout the year. Maybe every second Friday of, of the month, um, you play an Olympic game based on content that you develop. So for that... Remember those old bamboo sticks I had? They were like four foot long. Yep. And I used to give 
students um, bamboo shoots and rope, like twine. And it's a certain amount of twine and a pair of scissors. And what they had to do is they had to use that and somehow retrieve a bag full of rocks that they were going to use for something else. Maybe the rocks I put different letters on. And that made a phrase that they would use or something like that that would solve a a puzzle or something that was content-based. So one time I actually made it a whole bunch of rocks. They had different letters. And then they got a crossword puzzle. And then the rocks were different colors. Uh, so all of them were, let's say, yellow letters, very bright yellow letters, except for five of them the five one word or one letter from each word and that made a mystery word which helped them solve some type of a puzzle but you know just gamifying it keeping it it's something that the students look forward to so i would strongly recommend uh finding a something popular in pop culture and trying to make your own version of it to play in your game or yeah. in your classroom. Yeah, all those ideas are awesome and the kids have so much fun with that kind of stuff. That's why we keep going back to them year to year and, and bring them up periodically over time on this show. I'm going to give you guys another three that are all kind of related here. Uh, three of my favorite ones, actually. Uh, one of them is starting off class with a, what I call an alternate universe scenario, where you pose them an interesting question, and you got to kind of get weird with this and really think outside the box. Um, one that I thought of is, uh, what if Elon Musk owned Mars? And I came up with that because I actually had one of my students ask me if that was true. And they were being serious. I'm not sure why they thought Elon Musk owned Mars or anyone could own Mars. But it did make me, make me think of this interesting question. And the idea being that you pose that question and then have them do something. And I'll leave that part up to the listener to decide. It could be a writing prompt or, or whatever it is. Uh, but just think of something to really make them say, huh, I wonder what that would be like. Or you know, plug in any historical figure you want. What if blank had never been born? What would the world be like today? And that's the, the alternate universe scenario. Um, maybe my favorite one out of this series of three is providing not a, a weird scenario, but providing something real, in this case, a real statistic that is bizarre and almost unbelievable. Um, if you head to statisticbrain.com slash fun facts, that link is in the show notes. Uh, that's what these guys have put together for you. It's um, all of the sample data and statistics that sound crazy. Uh, some of the ones on their homepage are things like, uh, let's see, the IRS processes more than 2 billion pieces of paper each year. Jumbo jets use 4,000 gallons of fuel just to take off. Um, airbags and cars kill one person for every 22 people they save. And you can see not, not only are these shocking and interesting and, and thought-provoking, but you're going to be able to connect them to something that you're teaching. If you start going through the list, uh, they, they can link to anything, science, history, uh, any of the social studies, and, and there's a lot of art ones on there too. So some great stuff there with um, statisticbrain.com. And the last one of this series, I think I'll do the, um, you know, I called it a 60-second video challenge where you ask your kids to record just a very, very fast, low-prep video, maybe using their phones or, you know, a, an extension on their Chromebooks. But for these video challenges, you want to give them something fun to do. And I thought it would be cool to uh, use your debate option from before, but make it a silly debate. I got a lot of these this year where kids would come in and they have a, a ridiculous question like, is a hot dog a sandwich? And it just struck me how involved everybody got in that question. Everybody had a comment. Everybody had an argument to throw out there. You can make that part of the beginning of your class. And if you get really creative, you may even be able to theme it towards your content. You know, for a chemistry one, I was thinking you could ask them, is is water wet? You know, is it possible for the substance water that makes other things wet? Can water itself be wet? There's tons of directions you can take that, and it's going to let the kids get passionate and have some fun. Record it in a video. Maybe, you know, Flipgrid might be cool for that, so you could show them off and share them around. 
Is dry ice really dry? There you go. That's another one. Add it to the list. <laughs> All right. I'll do my last one, and then I'll let you bring it home. Even though I do really like one of the ones that you uh, brought to this list. Uh, my last one is whiteboard tic-tac-toe. You could use this with Google um, as well, especially the way that I'm thinking about it. So tic-tac-toe can be a just an easy 20-second game, less than 20-second game. But if you have nine different challenges, they could be nine different problems. They could be, I mean, it could be really nine different events uh, that you have students do in your classroom. And then what they do, instead of putting an X and an O, they just take, if they're working on a worksheet, and that's one of them, once they finish it, they put it wherever they want on their tic-tac-toe board. So what I do is I have four, five, six different tic-tac-toe boards up there, and you're on a team. You can play your piece on any of those tic-tac-toe boards. So you might have five groups that are circles, five groups that are X's throughout the entire class. And anytime a tic-tac-toe board is complete, you how many uh, X's, if you're on Team X, if you have two of the three X's on there and different group finished off the tic-tac-toe board, uh, you would get two points and the other team would get one. All right, And you do that throughout the whole period, um, you can get tic-tac-toe as many times as you want. There doesn't need to be an equal number of circles and X's on each tic-tac-toe board, but you just do it. You can do this with a bingo board too. There's tons of different ways to get bingo. Uh, you, you divide people up into different groups. They could play, if you have three different bingo boards up on the board, they could play on any bingo board once they finish that particular task or activity or problem and you just keep going and then based on how many bingo chips are part of the bingo that's how many points you get and at the end of the the class period what you do is you add up the points and usually a group of two or a group of three will you know will win and it's just a, another fun way to make the class period go by have a little friendly competition that is safe yeah, I love and the bingo board really caught my attention. That'd be super fun. Uh, so uh, good, really, really good idea there for our third to last one. I'll, I'll round it home with these last two. Um, they're both pretty straightforward. Make a meme. Memes are funny. Everybody loves them. Your intro activity could be having the students make their own. Uh, there's a thing called GIF it. It's an extension that I use all the time where you can take a YouTube video and it select a portion of it and export it as a GIF so you can actually, you know, tie in that, that motion element and the kids are going to have a great time with that. Uh, I was thinking too, you could have everybody put their GIF on their own board of a jam board, although I didn't check if GIFs will actually play and move on a jam board. If they can't, you could just sub in Google Slides just as easy with that one. Uh, so that'd be pretty cool. And last but not least for our list of 24, um, this is maybe one of the most popular things I do in my class all year long. I ask the kids to dress up like a historical figure. Uh, for me, it's from you know a, a chemistry historical figure, but could be whoever it is. You know, I always tie in like recycling to it, so I'll throw down a bunch of cardboard and, and junk that I pull from around the classroom in the school, and they get five minutes to you know craft their you know, Mendeleev costume or whatever it is. So they're cutting out mustaches and hair and glasses. And, you know, if you want to pull in some tech, you could ask them to to edit it, use something like Canva to add a filter that may, maybe make it like that sepia filter. So it looks super old school to match whatever original photo is they're trying to make it look like. And as weird as it sounds, the kids freak out for that. They have so much fun playing a little dress up at the start of class and that might fit with what you're doing. Uh, hopefully one of those ideas uh, of the 24 we shared fits with something you're doing and hopefully we sparked, uh, maybe this will be, this episode will be the hook to your own development of hooks. Do you care if I bring this one home? Let's, let's carry it away, Nick.
right, so that's that's it for episode 116. Just like always, guys, do us some favors. Subscribe, please, on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, especially YouTube and Twitter. Write us a review as well on Apple Podcasts, if you please. Tell your friends about guttech.com and our podcast. And if you're telling them about that, you should tell them about the Teach Better Podcast Network, too, where you can find us along with tons of other awesome educational podcasts. That officially wraps it up for 116. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. Remember to subscribe to our show and follow us at We Got Tech on Twitter so you can stay up to date with the latest episode releases, blog posts, product reviews, and PD announcements. You can also follow Geis and I individually at Geis Got Tech and at Nick Got Tech on Twitter or on Instagram at Nick Got Tech. Finally, remember to check out our website, gottech.com, where we post all our episodes, articles, and resources available to you for free. Until next time.